Well, good morning, Anthem, and uh, happy 4th of July. Uh, it's good to be with you. My name is Matt. Uh, I'm uh, the teaching pastor here at Anthem, and if you uh, could tell from, it's like a cryptic, you know, kind of grouping of Proverbs, what are we talking about today? Well, I thought, because it's 4th of July, and because, uh, well, tomorrow is, duh, uh, but because it's the weekend, uh, and because we're in the book of Proverbs, when I realized I'd be preaching on, on this weekend, I thought, why don't we talk about what it means to be wisely patriotic? What does it mean to be patriotic? Should we be patriotic? And, what, and I'll come back to what I mean by that, but what, what should our affections for the nation look like? And uh, this hit me when about, what, about a month ago, we, my wife and I went and saw uh, Top Gun, right? The new Top Gun. And I, I'm watching Top Gun, and I, I had these emotions welling up in me, and I'm sorting through them, and, and I was like, what am I feeling right now? And I was like, the first one was a very, very deep, deep jealousy over Tom Cruise and how he is aging, right? So that's the first one. Uh, that one aside, the second one that I felt was this just like this welling up of just this love for being an American, just this love for our country. And, and, and it was welling up. And I remember thinking, wow, I have like these like I'm experiencing this patriotic, like emotional state right now. And then I remember when thinking, and it was almost like I was looking around like, oh, did anyone hear that, right? Like I was looking around because in our day, can you be patriotic? Is it something to be suspect of? Is it something that's okay? And, and so what do I mean by being patriotic? Well, this is a definition. Uh, I think this, uh, uh, you know, one of the What's that one called? The main one online. Anyways, not Wikipedia. Uh, but supposing, supporting one's own country, directed to the public safety and welfare. It's from the Greek word for fellow countrymen. In other words, it also comes from the Latin later on for pater, which is for father, and it means like having a common father. It means being fellow people, being fellow countrymen, having something in common. And patriotism at its core is a word that describes seeking the good of your fellow man, of your fellow countrymen. To seek the good of your fellow man, even to the point of laying down your life to protect your country and the other for their good. See, at its core, patriotism is love of country that leads to a seeking the good of your fellow countryman. And, and I think this is part of why Top Gun was, was to me, why I thought it was, was so effective. Because it wasn't, it wasn't even overt the way they, they did it. Like, in the movie, if you've seen it, I'm not going to spoil anything. Uh, it's flying around a bunch of jets and winning. Um, but... I don't know what I'd be ruining, but uh, what I mean by it wasn't overt, there are all the artifacts, like patriotic artifacts. There are flags in places. Um, at, at, at Val Kilmer's character at his funeral, sorry to ruin that part, but at his funeral, there's the jets flying over, and they do the 21-gun salute, and they have all the artifacts and kind of the customs and traditions are kind of interspersed throughout it, but really the core of the movie is actually what is deeply patriotic, which the core of the movie was a demonstration of this commitment of the main character and the rest of the soldiers to one another and to the good of their fellow countrymen. And that's why at its core, it was resonating with me because there's something there about having something to commit yourself to and to look to the good of the other rather than just living for self. And that's the essence of patriotism. 
Now, I'm going to come back to that in a moment because first, I know that patriotism is a hot topic that few people will touch. Uh, this topic, as soon as it comes up, usually in our day, tends to uh, bring, you could say, more heat than light. More arguing than it brings understanding. It's a hot topic. No one wants to touch it. So I was like, I'll do that. I'll touch it. Um, because how we think about, here's, here's what I'm thinking, how we think about our country, the affection we cultivate is a reality we have to address. In other words, it's not as if you won't have some kind of feeling towards your country, some kind of emotional response to your, your country that you will cultivate. There, there, it's not like it's a, it becomes a vacuum, and what happens is if we don't know how to think, how to cultivate our emotions towards a country, then we won't, something will rush in, something will take its place. In other words, you will have some kind of response to your country. You can't just avoid it. And so we have to talk about it. We have to address it. And I think now, especially as a time, because we're falling in with this vacuum of not talking about it, we're falling in what I would say are two extremes. And, and the first extreme is patriotism as everything. Patriotism as everything. Love of nation overcome by worship of nation. That the nation becomes an idol. It's something that we worship. It's something that we actually find our sense of salvation in. I, actually, in old, I was finding all kinds of fun quotes, like, you know, the exaggerated quotes from the old day of, like, the old evangelist Billy Sunday, who he said, patriotism and Christianity are the same thing. They're identical, right? And traitors and atheists are equally going to hell, right? There's just this idea that, like, Christianity equals America. And so we tend to divinize, or, uh, divinize, canonize individuals. We tend to kind of see our country and our relationship to the country as a source of salvation in some way. Obviously, what can happen is we can exaggerate the importance while disregarding even the wrongs of our, our past. In other words, what this says is, our, my country can do no wrong. And it's legitimate to have that concern. Obviously, when anything replaces God, it becomes an idol and it becomes demonic. On the other end, though, the other extreme is patriotism as evil, which is where the love of nation over, is overcome by a hatred of the nation. We claim our nation is just a wasteland of demonic oppression. It exaggerates the wrongs of the nation while disregarding the good. Since the nation can do no right... Now, I could spend quite a bit of time going through all the negatives, but the question here is what positives, what kind of positive emotions should we cultivate? Should we cultivate any positive emotions towards the nation, towards America? In other words, tomorrow morning when you wake up, should you celebrate? What kind of response should you have as a Christian to the nation? And so I think, again, we fall into these two extremes because we've never even considered what role is love for country to play in our lives. And this is important because if you think about it, in Genesis, the Bible opens within God creating a nation out of one man. And then he, he calls this nation his special people. And he establishes this nation. And then by the time you get to the New Testament, you have Paul and Peter telling the churches to submit to their national leaders. And Paul even shows honor even to evil leaders and rulers. And Paul even uh, uses and leverages his rights as a citizen of Rome in the midst of his persecutions. And then you even could say that Jesus, in some sense, has a special kind of love for Jerusalem and Israel. You have passages like in Matthew when he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones. Uh, and stones 
stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. There seem, Jesus even seems to have this special kind of love for his home country, his home, this home city. And so from beginning to end, God places, well, the last one actually I should even bring up, is the Bible ends with this little detail in Revelation. It says the nations seem to have a place in the new heavens and new earth. It says in Revelation 21, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Have you ever caught that before? That the kings of the nation, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. That there's some, it seems to be that throughout history, God uses the fact that we're in the context of being in a nation in some way. And it has lasting, eternal ramifications. So from beginning to end, God places humans in nations. We must ask, is our only option just to disdain the nation that we find ourselves in or to worship the nation that we find ourselves in? Or does he have a plan, a purpose in placing us in a country, a state, a city, a nation? So again, while I could either spend time just focusing on the demonic worship of a nation, on one extreme, or focusing just on this kind of the demonic, uh, some of the demonic actions in the history, the wrongs in the history of our country. What I want to focus on today is I want to lay out a basic primer, looking primarily at Proverbs on what wise patriotism looks like. You know, when I, when I was really thinking about this, I, I went online, I was just trying to find like blog posts or anyone writing on this. And what I found was essentially the same thing again and again and again, which was like, well, you shouldn't worship the nation. Well, at the same time, the nation, we got a lot of, we got a lot of issues we got to address and we got to look at. And then, so, you know, just kind of like that, 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 there's that. Like, <laughs> and I was like, well, what, what do I do? Like, what, what should I grab onto? Here's what I want to do today. I want to, as helpfully as I can, because I've just read through Proverbs a couple times. And so what are some handlebars that we can grab onto here for what it looks like to actually be patriotic and cultivate right affections for our country? And here's the main idea underneath all of it, as I studied. Patriotism is an affection God uses to train us to love rightly. Patriotism is an affection God uses to train us, to tangibly train us to love rightly. So, only two points, how God uses patriotism, and two, wise patriotic, patriotic action. So, let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Well, Lord, we ask for wisdom this morning. Lord, we know this is a big topic, and we all feel it in different ways. We're all coming at it from different angles. And Lord, we desire, though, to honor you in the way we cultivate our affections for this nation, the country that you've placed us in, and this time in place. And so, Lord, we know this normally just generates more heat than light. So, Lord, shed some light on how to cultivate our affections so that we'd be honoring to you and Lord, in a way that would lead us to love our neighbor, to love you, love ourselves rightly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how does God use patriotism? It's going to be helpful just to lay out quickly the three greats that we find in Scripture. The three greats of Scripture. You may have heard of these before, but we have first the great work. In Genesis 1.28, God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth to exercise dominion. And what this is, is a picture of God saying, I've created a world, a theater of glory. 
and, and I've called you and made you and designed you in order to go into that world and cultivate my glory further in the world to seek the good, to cultivate the good that I've put into creation and develop this garden I've given you and to develop it into something. And so we have a work that we do, a good work that we are to cultivate and be committed to every day of our lives. And then we also have the great commandment in Matthew where he says, you either love the Lord your God. First, I'll start just the verse before, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Also, what we're called to is we are called to tangibly love our neighbors as ourselves and love the Lord. Then lastly, the third great is the great commission. And so what happens is after the great work we're given at creation, then obviously there's this fall, and Jesus is, the whole story of Scripture is Jesus redeeming his people, and then afterwards, it's almost like he's republishing or reproclaiming the great work. If you ever just lay out an interesting, if you want to do a Bible study, just lay out the great work and then the great, the great commission and look at the parallels between them. Because what's happening there is Jesus saying, now you can actually, now that you're redeemed and you have a new heart, you have a new soul, well, and my spirit's guiding you and you're under my lordship, now I'm sending you back out into the world, not just to just share the gospel and that's it, but also to cultivate the good of making the gospel known so people would come to know me and they actually could then cultivate my glory in the world, right? Quick, that's kind of a quick summary of the three greats. We could just go into those the entire time. But here's the question. What did those have to do with patriotism and love for country? And here's the thing. Those three greats sound great. <laughs> they sound great. But here's the thing. It's easy. It's dangerously easy to assent to the greatness of those things and to the idea Seeking the good, cultivating good, cultivating glory, loving your neighbor, loving God, making the gospel known. It's easy to assent to those, but them to completely remain abstract ideas. And what God does, because here's the thing, those work out in tangible contexts. You learn to love your neighbor by loving your actual neighbor. You, you learn to love your neighbor as yourself by actually learning how to love your spouse, how to love your children, how to love friends. You, you learn how to do these things in the context of homes and workplaces and classrooms and neighborhoods and cities and a nation. In other words, God places us in different contexts in which we learn how to not abstractly just assent to, yep, I'm, I'm supposed to cultivate glory, I'm supposed to seek good, I'm supposed to love and be loving. So, God, I love humanity. And he goes, but you hate your neighbor. In each of these contexts, we learn not to just say, that the, say we should seek good, but we actually are trained to seek the good. And in the context of being a nation, God uses our affections to shape us in concrete ways to help train us to love rightly and train our hearts. How? I was really helped 
if you try to find anything on patriotism, you either find like kind of crazy wild hairs, at least what I found on the, the extremes, or what you, it's hard to find somebody who's just thinking, trying to think calmly and coolly about what, how should we think about patriotism? And I found C.S. Lewis in the second chapter of The Four Loves. He has a subcategory. It's half the chapter of the second chapter where he goes into patriotism. And I found it incredibly helpful because here's the thing. We all love C.S. Lewis, right? Preachers quote him because if I quote C.S. Lewis, then you're all like, yeah, C.S. Lewis, yay, I agree with you, right? Like, it's the ultimate buy-in. Everyone loves C.S. Lewis. No one's like, boo, C.S. Lewis. Like, he's awful, right? Everyone loves him. Like, you're in a room of Catholics. They're all like, yay. And you're in a room of Anglicans. Like, yay, right? Baptist, yay. So, but here's the thing about why I think C.S. Lewis is so helpful, especially on this. We forget the context that he was largely writing in. He was largely writing as Britain was entering into, he's an English writer, and they're entering into, England's entering into World War II, in World War II, or right after World War II when he's writing everything he's writing. And so he's wrestling with this idea of what should my affections for my nation be? Because he sees where it's getting to these extremes. And this is what he says. Now, he, he doesn't alliterate it like this. I alliterated these, so I found these helpful. I'm broadly using these because I'm a Baptist. I alliterated them. So there's five H's on how God shapes our love for our, uh, shapes our love through our affection for our nation. The first is home. And here's what I want you to do as you write these down. I want you to think tomorrow, these five H's could actually be a very helpful framework to guide my reflections in my gratitude or my celebration about celebrating our nation. So home. Our nation is the context in which we are trained to love concretely, not abstractly. So this anchors that main point. You know, this last weekend, we weren't here, and we, we went back to Ohio. I'm, I'm from Ohio. It's where I spent my childhood. And, and here's the thing. My childhood, it, it, was, it was not an easy childhood. But one of the mornings, actually, actually Sunday morning, uh, I, I, we, I went to my mother's grave, and I, uh, both, both of my parents are buried there. They died young. And so I went and I sat at my mother's grave for a while. I took my, my son with me and, and we went there and then we went to my hometown and, and then to the, the one little piece of my childhood that was fairly peaceful and memory, like the iconic part of my childhood where I learned to walk, where I learned to ride a bike, where I learned to play basketball in that basketball pole that still, you can still see the concrete slab where it, where it went into the ground. I, I learned how to, to run there. I learned how to make friends there. I learned how to climb trees there. I learned all these things there. And then in the midst of it, my son, we went there and he had heard all the stories about how my brother and I, all the bad things we did. And then we ran into the guy who bought the house from us and he gave us a tour. He brought us in. It's been 25 years. Got to go back through. And I'm remembering all this stuff, like the bathtub that has like the, the, the like animal feet, you know, on it and all these things from my childhood. It's bringing it back. And here's, here's why I say that, because there's something about it. Even now, as I'm talking about, it, I get like emotional because there's a fondness. There's something that anchors the reality. This, there's a gratitude that wells up in me. There's a love and affection that wells up in me. And why? Because it's home. Because it's where I learned how to talk. It's where I learned how to be a human being. And, and one of the things about our love for our country, our affection for our country, here's the thing, to have a special love for your home is just how, it's where you tangibly learned how to live. That's not idolatry. That's gratitude. That's fondness. That's thankfulness. That's what it means to be embodied. That's what it means to be deeply human, to live in a place and to have an affection for it. 
In fact, if someone said, just says, I, I unqualifiedly, I hate my hometown, I hate my parents, I hate this, I hate that, you're like, I think you need to work through some stuff, right? Like, we know the opposite of it is not healthy, but there should be something when we go, this is like my parents are in that soil. Generations are in that soil. And there's a fondness that wells up. And wise patriotism says, I love this nation because, just simply because it is my home. The traditions, the customs, the music, none of, not anything that goes, it's wrong and it's exaggerated. I, I, I don't want to qualify through this entire sermon. Obviously, things can be distorted, but you should be filled with fondness. I don't, like Father's Day, I, don't, I didn't write my dad a Father's Day card every year going, happy Father's Day, dad. Now, only, I'm only because you did things that were wrong. I'm only going to recount all the bad things, Right? No, it, it's, it's, I learned to honor and express gratitude for you were a father. And yes, there's a time and a place to actually go through and think about and reflect soberly on the things that were wrong and the shortcomings. But at the same time, there's a place to just say, you were my dad and to celebrate. And we need to know how should we celebrate and appreciate and have a fondness. The nation is our home. And moreover, our home is where we tangibly learn to love others. Again, it's easy to claim we love humanity, but then to hate our neighbor. But what happens is when we think of the nation as our home, our fellow man, love can't stay distant and abstract. We're actually given fellow countrymen and neighbors, and God says, love them. It's unavoidable. This is important. There's a great quote by G.K. Chesterton, who's an old writer, and he says this, we make our friends, we make our enemies, but God makes our next door neighbor. Hence he comes to us clad in all the careless terrors of nature. He is as strange as the stars, as reckless and indifferent as the rain. He is man, the most terrible of beasts. I love Chesterton's writing. This is why the old religions and the old scriptural language showed so sharp a wisdom when they spoke, not of one's duty towards humanity, but one's duty towards our neighbor. The duty towards humanity may often take the form of some choice which is personal or even pleasurable. We may be so made as to be particularly fond of lunatics or especially interested in leprosy, but we have to love our neighbor because he is there. A much more alarming reason, a much more serious operation. He is the sample of humanity which is actually given to us. Precisely because he may be anybody, he is everybody. He is a symbol because he is an accident. What he's saying is that you are given neighbors, and I would Take that up one level. You are given countrymen. And God has said in this generation, in this time, you are called to treat them as your neighbor. And what happens is wise patriotism. It trains us to recognize this person is my fellow countrymen. And I have no excuse to avoid them. I share this home with them, and I have to seek their good. It can't remain abstract. So the first one that guides us home. Second is history. History trains us in gratitude for providential goodness. Understanding the history of our nation trains us in gratitude for providential goodness. Here, we are fellow inheritors of a social contract called the Constitution. That's our specific shared inheritance. That protects rights unknown, previously almost universally unknown to mankind. Right to speech, property, assembly, religious liberty, you go on and on. Yes, the historical landscape is riddled with slavery, segregation, a host of questionable military conquests, excursions. And you could go on with that list. 
But we also inherited a nation that is able to actually course correct on those wrongs. You know, I was last night actually around the table, we were doing a 4th of July family celebration and and we just went around because at birthdays, it's a, it's a tradition in our family where we go around and say, you know, something good. Everyone around the table says something good about the birthday person, right? What we love about them. And so we were like, well, it's America's birthday. Let's talk about what do you most appreciate about America? And they're like, fireworks, like the kids, you know. And, um, and so it gets to me, and I, I realized, because I was thinking about this, I said, you know, what I love about our country is that despite, yes, the wrongs, and yes, a lot of evils, at the same time, what's happened over and over again is the ability actually to lean back into the original principles and actually correct for a lot of those things. Like there is a gratitude for understanding the history of the fact that tomorrow morning, read from 1852, Frederick Douglass, when he did his 4th of July speech. What did Frederick Douglass, a freed former slave, what did he do? He argued going back to the basic principles, saying the basic principles this country was founded on, of human dignity, of rights for everyone. You are not living up to these rights. You're not living up to your original principles. And they were able to course correct based upon going back to those original principles. And then after that, MLK picked up the same thing. And down to today, the same principles of protecting human dignity are what allow us now to protect the unborn. Our country many times has gone through many stages of great evil, but at the same time, the amazing, amazing story of our history that is not true of most countries is the fact that there is often a course correction. And here's the thing, there should be some kind of gratitude for that because that is not the story of human history. If I were a pastor in another country, I would probably not be able to recount that kind of history. But here's the thing, we should have a gratitude for that. If, if you wonder what human history is like, go watch. I can't pastorally recommend this movie, Northman. It's a new movie. And I can't pastorally recommend it because it actually depicts what human history is like. We are inheritors of un, an unbelievable reality. And we should have gratitude for that reality. And we should have gratitude for God's providence in the midst of that. And we could also just God's providence. For instance, did you know that Washington, if you've ever read the book, 1776, it will recount how that entire year, all the different things that didn't almost happen, and had they not happened, this nation would not exist in the form that we know it today. If Washington had not crossed the Potomac, which that was a miracle somehow that happened, the war would have been over. You know, even before that, that the colonies actually would not sign on to actually declare independence. But then when Thomas Paine anonymously wrote the common sense. All of a sudden, the sentiment turned. And then you had men who were there who actually quickly, when they said, wow, they tore it all down, how do we build it up? And they had the wisdom to build a government with checks and balances that actually protect against tyrants. And you had men like Thomas Jefferson, who happened to be in France at the start of the French Revolution. And he witnessed it personally, in person there. And he saw what happens when you put the judiciary at the top and they rule the entire nation. And so they knew to put it with the lowest amount of enumerated powers in the checks and balances of the three branches of the government. These are amazing, unbelievable, miraculous realities that put us where we are today, and we should feel gratitude to God for his providential hand. These are actually simple things. Gratitude, because of the history of what we have, is a way that God uses the concrete history of our nation to shape our gratitude for his providence. Hope is the third. It trains us to have a good ambition for our fellow man. You know, this came home to me when I was a child. I remember sitting at my grandfather's retirement uh, ceremony. And my, my grandfather, when he went up, you know, they give you like a clock, you know, or something. 
that it like works for like a year or two and then it stops working. And so he gave you one of those gold-plated clock things and the, and, the, and the boss, the company owner actually was saying good thing, nice things about my grandpa. He worked there like 40 years. And then my grandpa said, can I have the mic? And he took the mic and he said, listen, he's been saying all these kind things about everyone who's worked for him and I want to take a moment to say thank you. And in front of everyone, and I remember, <laughs> remember this company owner, he had like tears in his eyes because he just turned to me and he said, thank you. Thank you for actually giving me an opportunity to provide for my family. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to give them something better. My grandpa was the youngest of 10 children who their father died in 19, or 1929 at the beginning of the Great Depression. You know how poor they were? He said, you were able for me to make a way to provide a better day for my family. I remember asking him about my grandpa later about that. And he just, he said it simply like this. My grandpa was a very simple man. And he just said, he told me, as Americans, we seek to play our part where we are and give something better to our kids and to those around us. Now, I know that sentiment could devolve into seeking merely material prosperity. I know. But it also taught me something that we have a higher calling on our lives beyond ourselves, our wants, my desires. And we live in a place where we have, it's saying, don't just look in the mirror, look up. There's a people around you. There are people around you and you need to seek their good. There's something greater here. There's a world out there. Can you actually work for the good of the world versus just staring in the mirror and just having ambitions for yourself, but actually having a good, noble ambition for the world out there? And that trains our hearts to have something, to give our lives to something bigger than ourselves just for our own wants and desires, but actually to look up. And that's vital in shaping our hearts and our love for God when he says, I'm greater than you and I have a greater purpose for you. It can actually train our hearts, that idea of hope. Fourth, humility. Patriotism trains us in humility through the use of our rights. Every right we possess, if you don't know, this is basic actual, uh, what do you want to say, constitutional theory. Every right that we possess, think of it as a coin, and every right, the other side of the coin, is responsibility. Every side of the rights we have is responsibility for our fellow man. And God uses wise patriotism to cultivate humility by teaching us to use the rights that we have for the good of our fellow man. We are not our own. As the catechism says, we are not our own, but we are God's, both body and soul, fully. What rights we have are for the Lord. As Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And one of the ways that God humbles us is recognizing that with all of the amazing rights that we've been given, all of those rights also come with responsibilities. For instance, the right to own a gun is a responsibility to protect and provide food. Yes, and shoot for fun, but not shoot to kill, right? Responsibility to be self-controlled, to wield it rightly and intelligently. The right to own property is a responsibility to cultivate a home and nurture life. The right to free speech is a responsibility to gain knowledge and then to speak truth rather than to speak lies. Wise patriotism avoids pride because it acknowledges rights come from or with responsibilities, and God calls us the responsibility ultimately of using them for the good of our fellow man, not just to please ourselves. Last G, or H, I don't know my alphabet. Uh, healing. Healing. Patriotism trains us in commitment to our fellow man's healing. Every fellow man, emphasize man or woman, all humanity, is fallen. 
they wrong. But patriotism says, I won't leave or forsake you, but seek healing. See, it's easy to shame, it's easy to shun for wrongs, it's easy to poke holes, it's easy to tear down, it's, it's easy to rage, it's easy to blame, it's easy always for it to be the other guy. It's easy to leave, but much harder to build up, much harder to bind up, much harder to seek healing. It takes commitment to seek healing and to seek something better. Proverbs says this of the wise woman, she builds her house, but with folly, her own hands tear it down. We have a choice. We can either choose to build up and have a commitment to our home, or we can choose to tear down. Wise patriotism cultivates a deeply covenantal disposition towards our fellow fallen man, countrymen. I can acknowledge the wrong, I can acknowledge the consequences, I can acknowledge the pain, yet stay committed. Acknowledges my fellow man is not pure, he's not perfect, but my fellow man, nonetheless, he is my fellow man, and I will seek tomorrow in healing. And I'm telling you, that trains you to love your spouse, to love your employees, to love your boss, to love your friends, to love your neighbors, to love your kids in profound ways. God uses wise patriotism to shape us. He uses our affections for our nation to shape our love for him and for others. Now, again, I'm going to just encourage you, leave those there. I'm going to encourage you to use those five H's just to think through those tomorrow as you're reflecting on the nation. And I think it's really going to help guide you to a fuller and richer. You're going to be able to soberly reflect and at the same time gratefully reflect and give thanks to God. So then, but patriotism, so this is the second point, cannot be truly wise until it understands itself in another context, the kingdom of God. You cannot be wisely patriotic unless you also see or understand yourself to be in a bigger eternal kingdom, which is the kingdom of God. So wise patriotic action. The key to wise patriotism, fear of God above nation, which comes from Proverbs 1-7. Remember, it says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So you can't have wise, have patriotism that's filled with wisdom unless you fear God above the nation that you're in. To recognize this country is not our ultimate country. We are citizens of an eternal kingdom without end. America will end. But we have an ultimate king who does not, and his reign does not. And think about how it's possible. King Jesus became our fellow man, made this world his home in order to seek our good, to heal, making us his fellow citizens of a greater kingdom with a greater hope and a greater history. Jesus fulfilled the great commandment by loving the Lord, his God, and neighbor by laying down his life. And then now he fulfills the great commission by calling us and sending us now in order to proclaim that kingdom and that hope and that forgiveness that is possible. Sent to live grateful, joyful, lovingly in this world because we know we are ultimately citizens of another kingdom. Meaning we seek the good of our fellow man, but his ultimate good, laying down our lives as our king. In other words, what I would say is the best patriots are those who have been sought and saved by the ultimate king. And the deeper we go in Christ, the more lovingly we'll seek our fellow man. So how to do it? Like, let's say five, I have five ways to wisely act patriotically. I'm going to hit these quickly. 
I know I knew I had way too much because honestly, for me guys, this has been all new. So it's like I just have tons of stuff that I want to share, but I'm going to have to hit these pretty quickly for time. What I want to say with this is, well, let me just jump into it. First one is to contend prayerfully. Contend prayerfully. There's a lot of conversation right now about is it a culture war? What's going on as far as the relationship of the church and Christians to the state? And, and I do think that we've moved from largely where up until maybe the mid-90s, this is something, there was a hubbub on, in academic circles, kind of Christian academic circles about this recently, so some of you may have heard this. But the idea that essentially up until about the mid-90s, we were in the church and the world kind of had this positive relationship. But, the, but largely, if you went to church, you, that's why all the politicians went to Episcopalian churches. You, you had to go to a church to be a good person in society, right? You got a lot of currency for it. And then about the mid-90s, something started shifting until about the mid 2000, around 2015, where we are more in a neutral relationship. It's kind of like, you do your thing, I'll believe my thing, and we just kind of do our own thing. But it wasn't antagonistic or anything like that. Now what seems to have shifted is that now the church and the world are more in a negative relationship. We've used terminology here at Anthem where we said, something happened where now it's not just, I, I think you're wrong as a Christian, but that I think you're bad. It surfaces that there's something going on where it seems now that there is more of a negative relationship with the world. And so a lot of us are struggling with what do we do in the midst of that? And the first thing we want to do is we want to kind of pick up and we want to fight. And here's the thing what Scripture says is do you realize that if the way that you contend well in this world, you contend prayerfully because the way that you submit yourself ultimately to Jesus and you bow the knee to King Jesus in the midst of being an, an American and thinking patriotically about being American is the way you bow your knee to Jesus is that you get on your knees knees and begin your fight there. Because Jesus is ultimately on the throne. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but our fight is against the principalities, and we start there. Doesn't mean you don't go on from there, but we start there. The king's heart, we read at the beginning, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will, Proverbs 21. So we should be praying for wise counsel. We should be praying for those who are in leadership. to follow the Lord. It says, if a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked in Proverbs 29. We should pray that there's wise counsel. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Pray for those in leadership around our nation and the citizens of this nation to find the Lord as their strong tower and to run to him and for our nation to find itself there. We should pray and contend prayerfully. Next, contend prophetically. Proverbs 8 says this, I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight, I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. Throughout Proverbs, one of the themes that comes up is that if someone leads and reigns and rules justly and in righteousness and with basic wisdom in light of how creation is made, and that's what wisdom is, living in light of the world that God has made, living in attunement with it, not running against the, the grain of how the world is wired. If you rule that way, it will go well with you. If you do not rule well and you rule unrighteously, you rule in a way that's separate or against God's created design, it will not go well. It would be chaos. So as the church, to seek the good means that we have to have a prophetic witness. Uh, one of the things that I know comes up is 
well, let me just say this. Prophets of old, the reason why I say prophetic witnesses, prophets of old, we always think of them as like foretelling, right? Like in the future, this will happen. But prophets not only foretold, they also foretold. They, in their times, while they said, this is coming, they also said, right now, you either turn and you repent and you live faithfully according to God's law, or if you're living according to God's law, keep doing that, keep going down that road, it'll go well with you. They always foretold, they were always truthful, they always spoke and prophetically spoke into the times, and right now, as the church, we need to recover that prophetic witness and being able to speak tangibly into the times. And that starts with neighbors, but I think one of the things is we... We tend to have this idea that's like, oh, that's getting into politics, that's bad. Listen, here's, I just want to dispel something really quick. There is something about partisanship, and there's something about platforming, and there's, that's one thing because of how our discourse has been in our nation. But the thing is, all morality, Robert Bork said this. He was a Supreme Court appointment in the early 90s. Remember, he said this, changed how I thought about this forever. All morality is politics, and all politics is morality. You cannot separate them. To act morally in Life is to act morally and have an imposition upon the public sphere. You cannot just remove morality from the public sphere. So when I talk about this, what I'm saying is we have to speak publicly, not to condemn, but to contend for the good, the glorious, and the true. And yes, at times, like Paul, it means that we have to leverage our constitutional rights, right? But there are things that are there. We contend in the world, but not like the world with the unbelief and anxiousness of the world. And we proclaim a king who one day will come and every knee will bow. That's our message. In the meantime, we bend our wills, our rights, our speech, our truth, our actions to him. And the kingdom of God is already for citizens of heaven, and so we must live and speak in light of it. We speak prophetically. Next, we act locally. I'm going to hit these last ones. Man, I want to just go on for so long with these. Act locally. When it goes well with the righteous, Proverbs 11 says, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Notice how the actions of individuals locally affect the welfare of the city for good or ill. All throughout Scripture, what you see is the actions locally affect. And here's the thing with the recent Supreme Court decisions. Our, we are constitutionally, as a country, we are founded on this idea. It's a doctrine of subsidiarity, that there should be access to local, being able to act locally and vote locally and have an influence there. And here's the thing that's happened over the last two weeks with recent Supreme Court decisions is that is being restored. That principle is being lost, and it was all federalized, but now it's being restored more to local, which means that church, here's what I want to say, as all the big national, the circus, and they're marching out all the elephants and the dancing monkeys, and they're like, look over here, look over here. Here's the thing. There are things happening in our city, in our state, in our county that need Christians to be speaking into. And so what I would tell you is to begin thinking to act locally. The way that it works, the governance of the world works, is it goes from a nation down to a state, down to a county, down to a local municipality, to a city, down to your individual home and your lives. Be fruitful and multiply and exercise dominion over your own heart and over your own home. And then from there, what you will see, then begin acting locally in ways. Get on the different boards, run for office, begin to think about what does it look like to cultivate glory and to seek the good for my fellow man here locally. Next, act faithfully. This is a carryover from that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproaching people. The reason why I add act faithfully is, again, the most important political act you can do is exercise dominion over your own life and your own home. 
when we act, when we talk about being citizens of a, of, a, of a country, when we talk about acting patriotically, the way that we act is not, well, I act patriotically at a national level and talk about things, but in my own life, it's a mess. We are to exercise dominion, to build up our faith. If we're to follow Jesus, then it means that we need to build up our faith, be anchored in the word, because if we don't have a prophetic word from God, then what's going to be the prophetic word that comes out? Input in, input out in our lives. Build up your home. Teach your kids the word of God. Build up your neighborhood. Build up your workplace. Start a business. Contend for the good while seeking to be conformed to Christ. Next, act eternally. Again, this goes back to Revelation 21. By its light, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Again, there is, and here's the thing in Proverbs, it also says that the glory of the king, because you go, well, that's kings, how can I do that? Well, this is what it also says in Proverbs 14, in a multitude of people is the glory of the king, but without a people, a prince is ruined. In other words, what's the glory of the king? The glory of the king and the nation are the acts of individual believers. You have a calling in this. You have a calling to cultivate your home, to cultivate your business, to cultivate your life in a way that seeks the good of your fellow man, that's otherworldly, that's sacrificial that tells of a kingdom to come. And when you do that, those are going to be the things that when they're refined, they are carried into the new heavens and new earth, and we will look at the history of redemption and we'll say, look at what God did. Not because of how talented or winsome or whatever they are, but look what he chose to do. That is your calling. It's amazing reality. Lastly, I snuck in a six. Submit, we submit protestantly, protestantly. Yes, that's a play on words, because the spirit of the Reformation, our ultimate allegiance is to Christ. Our knee bows to one king. The Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, and his kingdom will have no end. That's where our citizenship ultimately is. To give a picture of this, and this is the thing that I know right now, well, I'm just going to go there. Uh, The I know this last month, a lot of you came and you're like, hey, somebody gave me a rainbow sticker and they said, could you put it up in the cubicle? I just want everyone to be able to kind of like celebrate, right? Here, put that up. And then about four days later, HR is walking down the cubicles going, hey, why don't you have that up? We live in a day and age where now there, there is, this is tangible. What does it look like to bow the knee? And what does it look like to bow the knee to Jesus and actually either speak truth or refuse to speak untruth? And one of the things is it feels like if I'll just put that rainbow sticker above my doorpost, then the angel of HR death will pass over my house and I will survive. And the thing is, there are other things like that. And here's the thing, Christian. You need to understand that you have a Savior whose blood does cover no matter what comes. You do not have to speak the lie. You do not have to, uh, you do not have to speak the falsehood. You do not have to be, silence is not violence. You are able to love your neighbor and then stand firm on your convictions. And here's the thing, the blood of Jesus will cover you. The blood of Jesus and the Spirit of God will guide you and he will give you the words that you need at that moment and be in a family of God who will come around you and support you in the midst of it. Being, we are the ultimate political community. We are the ones who are the protest. This on Sunday morning is a protest before the watching world of the risen king who reigns forever. And you as believers need to know that when it comes to bowing the knee, you ultimately bow your knee to Jesus Christ. We do that humbly, but we do it full of conviction. And here's the story to close that captures it. It's the, end, it's the martyrdom of Polycarp. 
in 155 AD. He was the last known direct disciple of an apostle. Actually, when he was younger, he sat at the feet of the apostle John in his old age. So he was the last known disciple of a direct disciple of Jesus. So it's 155 AD. He's kind of a, he's a legend in the church. He was a very good citizen of Rome. He honored Rome, but he also knew when to draw the line. He submitted to his earthly king, but when it came at odds with his ultimate king, he refused. And so they tortured him and tortured him and tortured him, and they told him, just declare, you'll escape this if you say Caesar is Lord. But he refused because they knew when he said Caesar is Lord, they wanted him to say Jesus is not, Caesar is. And this is what he said. Eighty-six years I have served Christ, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And they burned him at the stake. Wise patriotism knows where our ultimate allegiance, pledge of allegiance lies. To the one who made us his fellow countrymen by taking our sins upon himself and seeking our good. So here's the thing, Anthem. This weekend, let your celebration, your gratefulness be rich and deep. For your ultimate citizenship is certain. And let God use your affections for this present nation to train your love for his eternal kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for just these, these principles that you've laid out in your word and the, the place where you've established us here in this time, in this place, in this city, in this nation for this time. Lord, we ask that you give wise counsel to President Biden. We ask that you give wise counsel to the Congress and the judiciary. Lord, we do celebrate and thank you for the recent Dobbs decision and other decisions, Lord, that have protected the unborn. Lord, we, we celebrate it. Lord, we celebrate and we thank you. Lord, the saints who have departed, who gave their lives for something bigger because they knew they were in a land that was doing something that was evil. And Lord, they gave their lives to seeing that day come and they never saw it come in their lives, but they're celebrating around the throne now with you. Lord, we thank you for that work. Lord, would you continue to give that wisdom? Would you continue to give that influence? Would you continue to move in the way that only can you can? Would you continue to steer hearts even more profound ways than the ballot box can. Lord, would you heal our nation of its wounds, of the wrongs, of the injustices or in the past? Lord, would you help us to move forward as land? Would your gospel break out upon this land? Would we see a better story and gospel of salvation that's better than anything that this country could provide, better than anything that a movement or an ideology could provide, but an ultimate king in Jesus and salvation in him? And Lord, would we be people who, yes, are content and celebratory and affectionate, affectionately patriotic, but ultimately knowing where our ultimate citizenship is and we give gratitude for your sovereignty over our, our, the history of our nation and our lives and that we leave it in your hands because ultimately, Lord, our souls are in your hands and we bow our knee only to you. So lead us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.